Now the obvious, there are many obvious tie-ins to this fourth beast of Daniel or the singular beast of Revelation 13 which is the composite of three prior beasts and the fourth and variously described as having seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns upon his head. There's a tie-in between that and the world because the enemy builds that kingdom upon the original discovery that he had about how humans could be deceived. We saw in the garden the deception through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Uh, We went through that, Um, it's highlighted uh, when the enemy comes and, and tells man, when God first tells man that in the day that you eat of this tree your eyes will be opened. We know that he was not speaking of the ability to see the fruit on the tree which was pleasing to the eye, so we know he wasn't talking about those set of eyes which would be the physical eyes, the eyes within the human body because he could walk around and he could see, he wasn't blind and he saw that the tree was pleasing to the eye, the fruit of the tree was pleasing to the eye. So that wasn't the eyes of his sars or in the, in, in the Old Testament his Adama or, or rather his Adam, his, his, his being a man and then he could hear God because God talked to him, he met with God every day. So his spirit was awakened morning by morning and he went into the garden in the cool of the day, the early morning would be the cool of the day and talked with God. So his spirit could hear God because God has always spoken to man spirit to spirit. His spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are sons of God. But the soul of man blindly followed his spirit because the soul, the eyes of the soul, when they're reopened, uh, when, when, when the eyes of the soul function as they were designed to, the soul of man follows the impulses and the messages that come to the human from his spirit. And so yes, man has a different interpretive model than the emotions of his soul when his soul is under the rule of his spirit because the spirit, you see, connects the man, the person, directly to the mind of God. And so whatever emotions are stirred, they're subject to the rule, to the hope, to the economy, to the support of the kingdom of God. So fear doesn't enter in as an emotion of the spirit because the love of God for man is shed abroad in the heart of man when his spirit is ruling and therefore he knows that he is well no matter how the things that he's confronting look to his soul. 
So salvation includes the bringing back of the soul under the order of the Spirit, under the rule of the Spirit within mankind, within humankind. The power of the enemy has been drawn up as a compendium represented by this final beast with seven heads and ten horns, the compendium of that power uh, is described as the world because the methodology of the world in deceiving mankind and the methodology of the beast are identical and they take advantage of the known weakness of the human soul and in his fallen condition man cannot but resist, man cannot resist the power of the world. So this is what John had to say in 1 John, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, in other words, the strength, the power, the substance if you like of what constitutes the term world, all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, excuse me, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. I want to go on just a little bit and read this passage from verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour and as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come by which you know that it is the last hour. They went out from us but they were not of us, for if they were of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. Who is a liar, verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, uh, in what you have heard, in, in what you heard from the beginning abides in you. I'll reread that. Therefore let that abide in you which you've heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father and this is the promise that He has promised us, eternal life. Now John is referencing here John 17 which you heard in the beginning, same John is writing who had previously written, Father, 
I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those whom you have given me and those who will believe who will believe on their, on your word brought through them let them be one as you are in me and i am in you let them be one in us that the world might believe that you sent me now so that was the original message to be assembled to christ that's the original basic message of salvation, translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God. So there's juxtaposition between that which contains the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and that which is contained in Christ, that's the juxtaposition. And that word is called the world, that which opposes Christ containing and contains the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that is called the world. The Greek word is the word kosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. I want to unpack that word more thoroughly than I did the last time I spoke about this. There are eight different meanings in the Greek to the word cosmos. The first is an apt and harmonious arrangement or order or constitution. This is from Thayer's Greek lexicon. So there's a constitution, an arrangement or order We understand constitutions, according to the United States, as a basis for the establishment of a kingdom. In our constitution, there are three articles that decide where the power that underlies this constitution comes from how it is to be administrated and what are the checks and balances or accountability factors associated with those three articles of the Constitution. And then there are exemptions from the grant of authority so that it cannot be presumed that authority was given in these amendments. Uh, In the original constitution, there were ten amendments and they were called the Bill of Rights. Since then, the constitution had been amended and amended again. Um, And so the Bill of Rights has been expanded. But the presumption with the Bill of Rights is it cannot be said that these rights were granted. So with that said, the primary aspect of the constitution are these three articles that create the distribution of power to the judicial branch, to the executive branch, and to the legislative branch. And it specifies the respective powers that are given to each of these branches of government. So sovereignty is discussed in that way. So 
the cosmos or the world is an harmonious arrangement or constitution of the order of that kingdom. The inherent concept then is that of an arrangement of systemic ways in which power is understood to have been derived, uh, to be vested, to be administrated and to be accounted for. That's what a world is. In that sense therefore, there are seven different ways of looking at this. One is an order, uh, 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 the second meaning of the word cosmos, which is really ways of deconstructing this original concept. Uh, So the word world may mean different things, to put it simply. If for example I said I've been traveling in the world, you would understand that I've been traveling geographically. If I said God so loves the world, you'd understand that's not so much the world I've been traveling in, but God loves humanity. When the scriptures say do not love the world, it's speaking of something else, which if you love, the love of God who loves humanity, one of the meanings of the word world, doesn't love that God doesn't love the world that is opposed to Him. So another of the meanings of the word cosmos, the first being harmonious arrangement or constitution of order, another is an ornament, a decoration, an adornment, such as the arrangement of the stars, the heavenly host, as the ornament of the heavens. A third meaning is of the word world is the universe. In the Greek, famous Greek phrase, Gracchi nomini ornamenti apelorum inum nos a perfecta absoluta que elegante mundum, which is to say, uh, these were words attributed to Pythagoras, the ancient Greek. Uh, a mathematician, philosopher, who was studying the elegant order of the world, the elegant order of the adornment and ornamentation of the world. The, the The fourth meaning of the word cosmos is a circle of the earth or just the earth. It's an equivalence to uh, far and wide, widely separated spaces, the earth and all of its inhabitants, as opposed to among those who are living on the earth, as opposed to those who are dead. So it's a reference to both geography and humanity. A fifth meaning is the inhabitants of the world, particularly the inhabitants of the earth, mankind, the human race. And those are found in various references in the scriptures, Matthew 13, 38, Matthew 18, 7, Mark 14, 9, John 1, 10 10 and 29, uh, John 3, 16 and so on, James 2, 5. 
to make its appearance or come into existence among men, spoken of the light which is from Christ, which shone among men. So now the meaning of the inhabitants of the world might be the word Messiah or Jesus as the Messiah. It could also, by the way, mean false teachers, as in 1 John 4.17, people who are of the world. It does also mean to invade, it means of evils coming into existence among men and beginning to exert their power or the power of sin. 1 Corinthians 3.4, John 3.17, John 10.36, John 17.18, 1 John 4.9 and so on, Ephesians 2.12. It can also mean to withdraw from human society and seek an abode outside of it, such as in Romans 11-12. All these uh, different meanings of and references to the inhabitants of the world. Number six, however, is a particularly interesting one, six of eight, the ungodly multitude the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. That's one of the meanings of the word cosmos. The ungodly multitude, the whole mass of humanity alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. References such as John 7, 7, John 14, 27, John 17, 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, chapter 6, verse 2, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, James 1, 27, 1 Peter 5, 9, and so on. It is a reference to the aggregate of ungodly and wicked men in Old Testament times such as in the time of Noah and referenced again in the New Testament and to speak in accordance with the world's character and mode of thinking, 1 John 4.5. In other words, to deceive, to speak ungodly multitudes, speaking in accordance with the world's character and mode of thinking. That's one of the meanings of the word cosmos, 1 John 4.5 speaks of that. Essentially it's the devil, he that is operative in the world, also the devil, John 12.31, John 14.30, John 16.11, 1 John 4.4, 4, 1 Corinthians 2.12, on and on, Colossians 2.8 uh, and 20, Galatians 4.3. Now, the seventh meaning of cosmos is worldly affairs, the aggregate of things earthly, the whole circle of earthly endowments, goods, riches, advantages, pleasures, uh, the hollow, frail and fleeting, stirred desire and is seduced from God and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. 
to be of earthly origin and nature, such as is spoken of in Galatians 6, 4, 1 John 2, 16, 1 John 3, 17, John 18, 36, 1 John 2, 6, Matthew 16, 26, Mark 8, 36, Luke 9, 25, 1 Corinthians 7, 31, James 4, 4, 1 John 2, 5. These represent incentives to sin proceeding from the world, 1 John 5, 4, the obstacles to God's cause, John 16, 33. And finally, number eight, any aggregate or general collection of particulars of any sort, such as the sum of all iniquities, James 3.36, Proverbs 17.6. So particularly in the seventh, the sixth and seventh references to the cosmos, we get this picture of the world and the reference to the world that is opposed to God. Now, here's an interesting connection between the world and the devil. In uh, Ephesians 6, 12, 11 and 12, in John 12, 20, 31, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, there is the reference to the Lord of the world or the God of this world, the prince of this age, the devil and demons, and they are called together the world rulers of the darkness of this world. They are used both of human rulers and of the angel of death and destruction. The word for that is the word cosmocrato, merging the words cosmos and krato. There's a God to this world, this arrangement of systems that contains in it as the base of its assumption, its philosophical premise. It's structured upon the basis of what is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The one who created this world, the cosmocrator, is the devil, is Satan, is that ancient serpent, the devil, and Satan who leads the whole world astray and he leads them astray by an appeal to these three lusts. He forms these lusts into a kingdom and this is the kingdom known as the beast that captures mankind, captures mankind. God gave mankind free will, but the deceiver has come 
to use against mankind the weakness of his soul as it is given to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. The word lust is the word epitomeo, epitomeo, which is a longing for that which is forbidden, its concupiscence, its desire, it is to lust after. Now, this phrase, the lust of the flesh, describes the emotions of the soul, the natural tendency towards things evil, such lusts are not, uh, such lust have the characteristic of being um, inconsistent with the will of God. The epitomeo, E-P-I-T-H-U-M-E-O, epitomeo is this longing. It's where we get the word epitome, where someone is defined by the, the strength of their desire. Now, numerous scriptures that define the term lust. It's a stretching after, it is reaching for. Now there are different words that reference lust, but in 1 John chapter 2 at verse 16, where he talks about what's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, there it uses the word epitomeo. The other meanings of the word lust, such as hedone, where we get hedonistic and hedonistic pleasures. Um, it's, there's the word orexis, orexis, O-R-E-X-I-S, which means, uh, and you'll find that in Romans 1.27, to stretch oneself out and or to reach after, it's speaking of desires. But epitomeo is where the person and the lust are synonymous. Now lust does not necessarily, is not always bad if what your desires are, are related to God, but if they're related to the world, they'll entrap you. Now when we come back, I want to get into what this basic, uh, what, what, is, what is the basic kingdom of the Cosmocrator. The Cosmocrator speaks of one who has power to take hold of, um, one who holds in his hand, one who holds fast, one who has power, one who is a chief or a master, one who rules absolutely, and so on, one who uh, one whose authority is exercised over others to conquer, to subdue, to continue to hold, and the like. So in the Cosmocrator, his power to hold, his power to rule, his power to govern, to draw in, is based in human lust. Now when we come back, I'd like to look at the way he is exactly executed this 
holding this, this uh, entrapment, this binding up of humanity, so much so that this great beast of his devours them, oppresses them, crushes them down, but can only wage war against the saints verbally. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss that when we come back. I'm Sam Solon, I'll see you then.